I was pretty much self-taught. And anytime that I needed to really like learn something, I would find a salon and go sit in the salon in the waiting area, just watch stylists. You know what I mean? How do you land Michelle Obama as a client? What's up, guys? I am Johnny Wright. I am a celebrity hairstylist and author and motivational speaker. And you are tuned in to Swap Sessions. Um, when did you decide that hair was going to be your, your thing? Um, very early on, actually, I, um, you know, my grandmother was a hairstylist, my grandmother, Minnie Brown, my grandmother started doing hair when she was 13. She did hair until she was 91 years old and she passed oh, wow. when she was 93. Um, but my grandmother noticed that my interest in hair very early on at the age of two, she said I was combing her hair into a clean ponytail at the age of two years old. So. The, the interest was always there. Um, not just my grandmother did hair, my grandfather also did hair, my uncles did hair, my uncle owned salons in Chicago, my, my grandmother owned salons. So it just, it's in our family blood, um, the, the whole hairstylist yeah. the world thing. But um, it wasn't until the age of like nine, 10, I started dreaming about doing hair and having dreams about hairstyles. And I, I just had this, innate knowledge on how to create a style. I don't, you know, it's just, I had it. But I kind of fought it for a long time because, you know, I grew up in church. I was very, you know, in a religious family and I was worried about people thinking that I was gay. Although I was, I wasn't open to that at that age, you know, being in the, you know, in the city of Chicago, living, growing up on the south side of Chicago, having gangs around and all that kind of stuff. You just wanted to try to protect yourself. So, it just wasn't yeah. something that I thought I could do. And then around the age of 11, um, a lady by the name of Carol, Carolyn used to do my mom's hair. And she was this very, you know, effervescent personality, you know, type of girl that does your relaxer and has a cigarette in her mouth at the same time. And I just <laughs> loved watching Carolyn do my mom's raps. Uh, Cause my grandmother did my mom's hair up until that moment, but she's she was doing raps and stuff like that. That's when the raps kind of became a popular thing. He's a rapper with a lot of body and put you on the dryer and, and all that kind of stuff. And I used to love watching her do it. And I said to Carolyn one day, I said, I, I want to do hair. And she was like, Well, why won't you? I said, Well, I don't want nobody to think that I'm gay. And she said, Oh boy, please. She said, You'll be gay with fat pockets. And I, I <laughs> and I know that sounds so like small, but that was the aha moment for me at 10 or 11 years yeah. old. Just that, I think it just kind of like uh, activated this idea that people's thoughts of you don't matter, you know? Right. And I right. remember being, my insecurity was crippling to the point where I was afraid to walk in a crowded room and things like that. And um, that moment was a defining moment for me to say, you know what? I'm gonna live naturally. I'm gonna be myself. I'm gonna do do my thing. And you know, I can literally pinpoint the moments behind the chair that has grown me into the man that I am now in my comfort space, in my freedom, being exactly mm -hmm. showing up exactly who I am, being comfortable in my skin. So I dedicate my whole life to my career 
just based on, you know, being able to really build my confidence behind the chair. And this has been a lovely experience so far. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it, I think it's amazing when you, you can find something that you're passionate about at such a young age and yeah. then have people in your life that not just know that, but motivate you into stepping into that space. Yeah, so, see, I had, I had supportive parents because, you know, my mom was raised by a hairstylist. So, and my dad, of course, was understood that it could be very lucrative. My, my, my dad built a salon for me in the basement of our Southside Chicago home when I was 13 years old. So I had a full wow. clientele by the age of 12. I did my, my mother's friends, the church family, the people in my neighborhood, classmates. When I got into high school, I was doing all my teacher's hair. It was just crazy. And so I, I started my business savvy very early on. And I think that's where I've been able to kind of pay the dues throughout the year to get me to where I am yeah. now. And so, so start early. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to age you, but I'm 46. <laughs> you're okay. So you were like finger waves and like uh, buns and crimps and all you that. Know, you know, exactly. like you were, yes, you got it. No, oh, my mom, my mom was my, a hairstylist. <laughs> my first, my first, uh, it's so much noise going on by here. Of course, today is in New York, no. but my, my first, um, it's New York. <laughs> I know it's just like all of a sudden today, my first hairstyle I did was a French roll. Uh, it was a French roll. I did a French roll on my mom. My mom was my first client. Of course I did a French roll yeah. on her and I, um, I stuffed it with toilet tissue. But the reason yeah. why that's so important <laughs> is because you couldn't see the toilet tissue. I was able to make it such a clean comb to it that you could see the toilet tissue inside. So yeah, I started doing updos with my thing. I was doing updos, ponytails, um, and then got into finger waves. Then I started getting into really, really short haircuts. I was doing short haircuts a lot. So yeah, it, 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 it all started with the updos and finger waves and all that kind of stuff. The, yeah. the, the, um, the waterfall ponytails and all that kind of stuff. I've done all that, yeah. <laughs> it was an era. And yeah, you had to yeah. you had to know what you were doing, or you was going to jack somebody's hair up. And yeah, if you jack somebody's hair up on a Friday, very detailed. And I was a perfectionist. Yeah. So I used to spend a couple of hours on somebody's head, but you know, I wanted to make sure it was right. So, <laughs> so when you when did you truly know that you had a gift in in doing hair? When did you know that was your gift? Uh, I think around that age, around 11, 12, I remember uh, uh, a client by the name of Tina. I, can't, I think her last name was Tina Johnson. Or something. Anyway, Tina, she was a, um, she, her brother was a pastor. She, you know, was active in his church. And she used to come get her hair done every, like, week to get her hair done. And she said to me, I just love the fact that I could tell people a 12-year-old was doing my hair. And they're always so shocked <laughs> by that. And I knew then that it, there was some type of gift there. And and I, I honestly yeah. knew it was a gift because I didn't have proper trainings, per se. Yes, I used to sit and watch my grandmother do hair. But my grandmother was a press and, girl, press and curl type of girl. You know what I mean? And I didn't really right. do that. I started doing relaxers and, you know, blowouts and things like that. So I was pretty much self-taught. And any time that I needed to really, like, learn something... I would find a salon and go sit in the salon in the waiting area, just watch stylists. You know what I mean? But um, I was self-taught, so I knew it was a gift then, um, very early on. And I think I even recognized the, to to label it as a gift at that at that age. Yeah, yeah. When you when you grow 
and like now you're you're outside of the the twenty year old area, or you're going into the twenty year old area rather. Um, you're leaving school. What do you do after high school? Do you go straight into salon? Do you go and get a license, or do you go to college? How does that work? So what happened was the plan was to take cosmetology in high school, um, and so okay. I was doing. I started doing hair. I think around seventh, eighth grade, right? So the, the mm -hmm. plan was to take cosmetology, school, uh, cosmetology courses when I got to high school. And I went to Percy L. Julian on the south side of Chicago. And what happened is, is you can't take it as a freshman. So mm. I did my freshman year. But by the time I turned a sophomore, they took it out. They took the program out of the, the school. So I was like, okay, we won't okay. be doing that. I'm going to have to wait to after. So basically, I just continued to do hair. Like I told you, my father built a salon for me in the basement. One summer, I think around 14, I just wanted to see what it was like to work in a salon. So I went to this salon called T's and D's, a beauty salon, which was Tyrone and Donna. And it was drug dealers, and they owned a salon in the south side of Chicago, <laughs> uh, in, in the Rosen area. And I worked in that salon, and I worked there the whole summer. And that's, I think that's when my father was like, you don't need to be paying them no boots, right? I'm going to build you a salon in the basement. And I came back. So I pretty much just worked illegally yeah. for all those years. Uh, and doing hair in my, my parents' basement. And then when I graduated from high school, now it has a name to it. I didn't think it had a name to it back then, but I took a gap year, basically, where I just focused on doing hair. Um, so I didn't go to beauty, beauty college right away. I just focused on doing hair for a year, year and a half. And then I went to Delhi Beauty College. And that's when I got my, my license there. And honestly, I was, I, was, I was happy to do that because that's when things really started to change in my career, because prior to um, going to beauty school, you know, my thought process, I'm going to own salons, you know, I'm going to run salons and I'm going to do that. But then when I got to beauty school and I got introduced to the freelance world and working on set and session styling and things like that, I mm -hmm. decided I didn't want to go on the journey of opening a salon anymore. I wanted to work with celebrities and work in film and television. And that's where it kind of changed to the clientele that I have now. So it was, you know, it was, a, it was a blessing to be able to go to uh, beauty school. And the, 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 the director of education, Betty Clausen, who I just visited at my tour stop in Chicago a couple weeks ago, you know, she knew about me from the grapevine. She was like, who is this young kid doing everybody's hair? He's illegal. He need to come in and get his license. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I went in and she was like, listen, I know you know how to do hair already. You just kind of come get your license, your, your theory, and you got to come you know, get certified. So she, she kind of pushed me along. And, um, you know, I was supposed to finish in, I think two years, I ended up finishing a year because she would have me do hair competitions and things like that, like with the beauty, like with the beauty shows that were coming to the area. And I would win those competitions and she would just give me extra hours based on that. So all that kind of helped me. And I would actually do like helping teach the kids on like technique and stuff like that because I had already had yeah. it because I've been doing it for so long. So she'd give me extra hours that way. I don't know how legal it was for her to do that, but I thank God I only had to do nine months of school <laughs> instead of 18 months. <laughs> instead of 18, you got it, you got it done. When you when you step out and now it's like you're you're working on in entertainment, you're working on sets, you're working with celebrities, is there a is there a point where you're like I can I can now be loud and proud about what it is that I do. Was it did that happen before that moment? Yeah, yeah. Or did that, happen that all happened. That, that all happened once I started doing hair. Um, 
I was always celebrated, you know, and that's that's excellent for a young, undeveloped mind and undeve undeveloped emotions and stuff. So, you know, I was always a little more mature than my brothers, <laughs> so to speak, even though I was the youngest. Mm -hmm. But um, 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 that kind of happened then. I mean, you know, you you think about me, you know, me being in high school and I'm doing 50% of, 50 of the girls at school. I'm doing my teachers at school. So my confidence was pretty, you know, I, I wouldn't say egotistical, but my confidence was pretty much over the roof as far as like knowing that I had a talent. So me yeah. starting to live out loud in that space was very early on. Now, as far as my sexuality is concerned, that happened a little later on, of course, but I never really came out. I just, I just start letting people in, so to speak. I yeah. like how you put that. Yeah, I, like I don't really believe that. in coming out. I just feel like you know this is who I am, and I, I don't think too many people were surprised anyway. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have a friend that said I didn't come out. I started letting you mind my business. Yeah, and exactly. I was like, I I was like that's that's real slick. I like that. Yeah. So you. You transform um, into okay. So you get you you develop your career. You are you're doing amazing. End up in the most probably, in my opinion, the most exclusive hairstylist job <laughs> in the, probably in the world. Uh, is how do you how do you land Michelle Obama as a client? Okay, so for eight years. So remember, I told you that you know I started wanted to do freelance work, more freelance work when I went to hair school. What, yeah. what, what that moment came in was um, Betty Clausen, the education director at, at WB College, um, got approached by I think Bud or Miller Junior Draft. You know, you back in the day they had the the Bud girls, the Miller girls, and yeah. they were doing a new uh, campaign. And they contacted the school to see if they can send stylists to volunteer for the shoot. Prior to this, I had never worked on a photo shoot before. I never knew what a photo shoot was. So she recommended that I go. Packed all my tools, went downtown to the studio. And at this shoot, the makeup artist was this guy by the name of Landis Johnson. And Landis was a makeup artist in Chicago. He did a lot of celebrities in Chicago. And... Um, I worked this shoot, had an amazing time, loved the whole process of it. And Landis became my mentor. He became my mentor. Mm. And it was the perfect marriage because he was makeup and I was hair. So because he was already doing Chicago, uh, Chicago based celebrities and celebrities that came through Chicago, I was able to start mm -hmm. working with those celebrities. And so um, my very first first lady is, of course, Lisa Ray McCoy. She was my first first lady. I was working with her for many, many years okay. and also was in Turks and Caicos with her when she was the first lady of Turks and Caicos. Um, but another thing that happened during my time with Landis, um, there was this commercial that was being shot in, in Chicago of, for American Family Insurance. And he recommended me to be the hairstylist for it. That commercial was booked through an agency, and the agency is called Ken Barboza, who is still an agency to this day. And Ken Barboza, I know, I know who, I know who yeah. that is. So yeah. Ken Barboza, I worked on, you know, he booked me through his agency, and 
since I, because I did such a good job, he was like, everybody loved you. I'm going to add you to my roster as one of my, my talents. So then that's when I got mm -hmm. my first agency was with, with through K. Marboza. First and only hair and makeup agency was only Kim Marboza. I just, I just parted ways with Kim Marboza maybe three years ago. And just because I just mm -hmm. felt like I, you know, I'm not in that space of like needing it anymore, but, but that's how long I was with Kim Marboza. So in, in 2007, this is maybe two weeks after the first family announced that they were running for president on Oprah. I got a call mm -hmm. from Ken and he said, hey, I want to know if you can do the this, this senator's wife by the name of Michelle Obama. They're running for office, but if you could do her for this, for Essence Magazine photo shoot. I said, sure. It was on a Monday. I didn't work on Mondays. It was perfect. When did it? Not like it paid a lot of money because you get editorial rate. I think it was like 150, 175 or something. It was really cheap, right? Back then. Right, right. And not even looking at this as an opportunity. I was just like, I was off. Yeah, I'll go make a couple of dollars. So I went and did her. Did her hair for Essence photo shoot. We hit it off. She loved her hair. And then her staff reached out to me again to do it for O Magazine. And But by that time, I decided to move to L.A. to have more, more of a career in film and television. And so I did it for the shoot. And I was like, hey, I'm actually moving to L.A. Good luck. I hope you guys win. Not thinking that anything was going to come out of it. <laughs> you know, we had never seen a black person yeah. in the White House, so I didn't think anything of it. I was just going to go chase my dreams and work in film and television. Moved to L.A. that August. Um, and that was in August 2007. I remember the exact date. August 26, 2017. It was on a Sunday. I moved to L.A., Started working in LA, started working for Frederick Vakai. There was the number one salon in the country at the time. They had celebrity clients that came in. They were semi on red carpet gigs and all that stuff. So the the campaign started getting more intense. And the first lady would be on the West Coast a lot. And every time she mm -hmm. would make it to LA, she would reach their her staff would reach out to me and say, Hey, can you keep her get to come do the first lady for Ellen DeGeneres or Jay Leno or a, a, a fundraiser or a conference with all the campaign stuff that they were doing. So we, our relationship continued to grow. Then um, in 2008, when it's, they're about to, it's about to have the election, um, I get a call from our chief of staff asking me if I can come to Denver to be with her for the Democratic National Convention for the whole mm -hmm. week. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to. And at this point, it's like, it's seeming like it could be a thing, but you still not you know, <laughs> sure, right? And so, right. so I go to Denver, I do her hair for the speech. Um, and that was the first time actually that I had did her hair from scratch. All the other times I like kept kept her camera ready, pretty much touched up whatever her stylist did to her in the salon that week or whatever, right? So this is the first mm -hmm. time I did her from scratch and people noticed it. It was, they noticed a different stroke of the brush, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And I remember the next morning, a lot of people talk, everybody talks about her speech, but also everybody talks about her hair. I, I, I just remember, yeah. you know, the view, uh, Good Morning America, today's show, they all talked about her hair and they were trying to figure out who was doing it, you know? And I remember mm -hmm. like, People was trying to reach out to me and I couldn't really talk and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, 
the the DNC was later that year, and um, the uh, election was like two weeks later, and the election happened. Um, I I think that was my first time voting, and I had an election a, a, like election party at my house in LA. I had people over dinner and everything, and they won, and we were all crying and celebrating and like taking shots and having a great time. And you know, I remember one of my clients asked me, like one of my friends asked me, like, "Do you think you're gonna move to DC?" So I was like, "No, no, 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 no." Like, like, of course she's gonna <laughs> take Ronnie with her, her, her status for since she was 17 years old. And so right. didn't think anything of it. And then about three or four weeks after that, I get a call from her chief of staff and say, "Hey, the Mrs. Obama would like you to come to DC to do her for the cover of Vogue." And I was like, oh my God, I get Vogue. You know, I'm like, I'm about to get Vogue, you know? And I go to do her, I, it, was, it was the 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 date of the shoot was on the 13th of January. And mm -hmm. I was set to arrive on the 12th. Now, mind you, the inauguration is going to be on the 20th. So it was, it was very close to that. So I thought to myself, I'm because I was supposed to go on the 12th, do it on the 13th, leave on the 14th. But in my mind, mm -hmm. I said, let me pack my bags. I'm already in D.C. It's this historical moment. I'm going to pack my bags as if I'm going to go to this inauguration. Because I'm there. I could, I could try to figure this out, right? Never been yeah. to an inauguration before. Never wanted to be an inauguration before. And I, so I packed a big bag, and I went. So they put me up at the Hay Adams, which is also the place where they did the shoot. It was upstairs in the presidential suite. The Hay Adams was right across the street from the White House. Of course, I didn't know none of this stuff back then. I know it now. <laughs> uh, my focus wasn't politics. My focus was celebrities. You know what I mean? Um, right. So I, 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 to put me up the Hay Adams, the morning of the shoot happens. I go upstairs, set up. She walks in. She gives me a hug. I congratulate her and everything. And before she even sat down for me to start doing it for the shoot, she said, Johnny, I was wondering, would you be open to moving to DC to be my stylist? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, totally like blown away by this. And and I immediately said, yes, like, yeah, you know, completely shocked. And then she said, great. She said, you know, Melissa will talk to you and talk to details and we'll figure out all that. And she said, also, are you able to stay here through inauguration? And I said, I actually packed my bags for it. <laughs> and so, so they put me up at the at the Hay Adams for that time and I stayed there. I didn't do it for the inauguration, but I did it for everything leading up to the inauguration. Ronnie actually came yeah. in to do it for the inauguration, but I did Barack's sisters, I did her mom, I did the girls and all that for the inauguration. And I was able to go to every ball of the inauguration because I was in the motorcade with them and it was amazing. Um, and all I can remember is saying to her, after I said yes, and I started doing the hair, and I was thinking to myself, like, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, you know, it's one thing that, like, when I moved from Chicago to L.A., I had a full clientele. I was, had a ton of money saved up. It was an easy change for me. But moving to L.A. and starting a brand new salon, even though it was the number one salon in the country, we were on salary, and the, the amount of money I was making wasn't the same as, like, my full clientele. So I'm like, I don't have, right. like... Twenty, thirty thousand dollars just sitting in my account, but I'm gonna figure this out. And I said, so I right. said, listen, can you give me a month? Like, give me a month. She said, yeah. 
that month, she said, month is good. A month is good. And I moved to DC on Valentine's Day of 2009. It was a month and a day later when I moved to DC. Wow. And I was there for eight years. That's how it all happened. You you were there for eight years. And what's crazy is from the outside looking in, like you're, you're styling on her. Every time we saw her, it was, it was so iconic. Oh, and it was like, it's, it's a, that's the perfect style to go with this dress. That's the perfect look for this event. It's like, we have this flawless person that's now in the White House. And you couldn't really talk trash about any of it. Yeah. And we loved it. It was right. like, y'all got to just sit and take all this. Y'all got to eat and this And it up. was just... Every every time, it was like she's gonna come in here and kill it, and it's yeah. like you just you knew it was coming, and to know that you're the person behind those looks, and you say this is what you're wearing, this is where you're going, let me do this, yeah, and that that's a testament to to your talent to be able to pinpoint we're gonna do a ponytail this day, we're gonna do a bob this day, we're gonna do like a long thing this day, and never fail. Yeah, you know thank what I mean. You. I like that's. That. That says a lot. Thank you, thank you. I, yeah. I listen. I, I wanted to operate in excellence. Um, I also realized, you know, once very early on after I got the offer, that this was my service to the country as well, and making sure yeah. she was represented visually in that way was really important to me. And I also was rewarded in understanding that the way that her look evolved, her popularity evolved as well too. So my job was, I think, well received in that way. Um, Cause I always tell people, if you did a graph on how she looked and how her popularity grew based on how she looked, you would see that her popularity continued to grew, grow as her look evolved. And that's yeah. not to say that her look was bad or anything like that, but people don't want to listen to you unless they want to look at you first. And that's just the nature of the beast that we deal with, especially in the political world. And one thing I noticed the difference between celebrity and political world was, you know, celebrity was all about new now next and trend setting and all that, which I like love, right? But the political Mm -hmm. world was about a recognizable silhouette because that also encouraged people to remember you when they went to the, went to the, the, the voting and vote because they may not have kept up with the with the campaign, but having a recognizable silhouette helps that. So that thought process for me, when I did my research on that and other first ladies, like that was really what I wanted to do. Just keeping her, have some variation, but keeping that, that luxe and that polishness all the way throughout the eight years. I wanted to make sure that was, you know, it. Now for me, I feel like I had some misses because that's just me being on top of myself, but at the end of the day, you know, she oh, loved sure. it. That's all that mattered to me. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I, what I know about, again, my mom having a salon for so many years is that a, a stylish chair is three hours of therapy. Yeah. Like, it's, it's three hours of being able to just be in the moment. It's three hours of I have a, a vulnerability barrier that's down to this person because I trust you. Yep. And without getting into anything that's told to you, did you ever have moments where it's like, I just want to protect you? 
because oh, like you're getting you're catching this from so many angles and i just want you to just absolutely it was relax you know right they here. were under so much scrutiny and the american people were you know some were very mean to her in particular um and i of course saw it i used to sit at the line at Safeway and get groceries and see the the tabloids and the horrible things it was saying and like and I'm sitting at like not just a bird's eye view somebody that is literally there and I like no this is all false and everything so that was always hard for me so yeah I did have that um, protection feeling for her and the family per se I mean you know yeah. that's why you know I I you know I was the one that tried to enhance her social life in some way and although you know at one point dc was like the 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 uh restaurant hub because a lot of people a lot of top chefs it was a top chef restaurant hub a lot of top chefs will open up restaurants there and i think in one year mm -hmm. on 14th street like 28 restaurants opened up in one year and i will go to these restaurants and and the way these restaurants are set up they already know because it's a political city that they'll have a private room already built into the restaurant. Like I said, I would go check these restaurants out, check the food out, get the environment. I would like suggest suggest some, you know, Ms. Obama, like, let's go, let's go here and let's go to this spot, let's go to that spot. So that was always fun. And I used to always also, you know, have dinner at my house and have her over and I would hire a chef and I would cook and do things like yeah. that. And we used to have so much fun, but I just wanted her to feel normal. And I feel like that was a level yeah. of too. I just want to feel some sense of normalcy in a life for us to just kick back at the house and you like just having a little kickback and you're not in that world. And and we did it. We did it a, a several times and we had a you know a, a ball each time. So that was my level of protection. Even bringing the humor. You know, I'm I'm a I get my humor from my mom. I'm a very silly person, but I would just do silly things just to have her laughing. And to me, that's a way of protection as well too. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I did feel the need to protect her. And, you know, I, I remember sometimes that, you know, there would, there would be like horrible stories out about her. And I, I could just obviously tell that it affected her. And that really just like wore on me, too, because I, I just hated to see that. But she's a very strong woman. They are very strong unit, her and Barack, and a very strong family. So, you know, she found her refuge in all of it. But at the same time, Yes, to answer your question, I did feel the need to protect her. I feel like that with a lot of my clients, you know, especially if they in the yeah. eye of a lot of scrutiny. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, again, I just, I'm I'm glad she had that outlet. Yeah, um, I think that that was I think that that was important in that moment because again, there was just a lot of vitriol coming towards that entire family. So yeah, was, I'm just was, I'm glad was, that disgusting, disgusting. Yeah. I'm glad that you were, I'm glad you were in place to be able to give that refuge. Thank you. Um, talking about giving refuge, you have a 11 city tour yes. happening right now, which is absolutely amazing. It's the Naturally You tour based yep. off of your book, which is Naturally and Curly, or Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies. Yes, yes. And we're in a space now where people are embracing their curls unapologetically 1000 percent. so what made you decide to do the tour let's start well, there so what made me decide to do the tour so i'll first talk about how, why i how i did the book i mean the book came through my agency um and they was like hey we would like johnny to author this title and at the time it was called natural hair for dummies 
And I decided to ask them, can we change the name to natural and curly hair for dummies? Because I know there's a lot of people who have curly hair that don't consider it natural, like the Latino mm -hmm. dad community. We wanted to make sure that they knew this was for them as well, too. And so right. we did that. I wrote the book. And in the process of writing the book and my like writing pattern, I would do like research to just make sure there was no like to look for any nuances when it came to the subject and things like that, because I wanted to make sure that I had all that in as well too. It's like, it's impossible to have everything in the book, but I wanted to make sure I, 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 mm -hmm. I delivered as much information that I could and made it to break it down as simple as possible. People can really walk away with some knowledge. And in doing my process of researching, I used to see these articles and all the articles would be so negative the way they started out talking about natural hair. They'd say like, it's frustrating. I know it's hard and I know this. And I'm thinking to myself like, Jesus, like, what what does that feel like to just go to the Google and just trying to find out some information about something that naturally grows out of your head and it starts off negatively, right? And mm -hmm. I think that, that has to be traumatic. Then it made me think like, I want to make sure that this book is a love letter to natural hair, a love letter to women who have curls and talk about it in a very positive way. So I did that with the book, but then I started thinking further about like beauty standards and things that, that, that all these isms and these phobias and all these things that just hold us back up. It's so unnecessary that in the way that I yeah. said, you know, there needs to be a safe space for us to talk about this. And that's what, that really was the birth of the Naturally You Tour. The book is one thing. It, 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 it's, it's a great, you know, piece of information to help you with your healthy hair journeys to, you know, give you some sets of tools on understanding ingredients, your hair growth process, how often you should get your end trimmed, finding a stylist, all that good stuff. But the Naturally You Tour is really a broader conversation about things that I feel that it's time for us to heal from. And I'm yeah. on this journey of healing. And in that process, um, Maya Bana came on board as my premier sponsor. And what's so beautiful about Mayavana, Mayavana is an AI and SI technology company that diagnose your hair strands and tell you exactly what products are best for you. And most people don't notice your hair, your, your hair type, your hair um, ID is just as unique as your fingerprint. And while all these products are out there that say, you know, for all hair types, that's not true. There's no product yeah. for all hair types because everybody has a different hair ID. And what Myvana does is help you find that ID. And they, at this point, they have um, analyzed over 2 billion strands of hair. It's a huge company. I'm really excited to be on board. So they came on board. And the, the, the beautiful thing about the marriage is while they're helping you define your hair ID, we're helping you celebrate your hair ID and your uniqueness wow. and exactly who you are. So that's really what the Natural to You Tour is all about. You know, we launched it at Essence Fest this year. It was beautiful. Tiffany Cross moderated it, and I was on, on stage with um, Brandis Daniel, which was beautiful. The second one was in Chicago. I moderated it. My, my good, dear, dear friend who I love dearly, Larry Sims, was on the panel with me. My mentor, Jacqueline Tarrant, was on panel with me and my pastor, Rodney Patterson, was there to help kind of give us steps in order to heal properly. And then our last one was yeah. in um, in um, New York at Curl Fest with the Curly Girl Collective. 
It was amazing. Taryn Hall moderated that. I was on stage. David A. Wilson was on stage who created the griot, sold it, created it, sent it, sold it again. And now he's creating a, a platform called Alter that is really for people of color to have some access to therapy, which I love that. Had um, Didi from Naturalistas. They're one of my sponsors. They created the first fashion natural hair dial and it's amazing. So they was on stage talking about um, inclusiveness and also representation. And Candace was on stage. Candace is the CEO and creator of Mayavana. And she was on stage and gave more people a more understanding of what Mayavana has to offer. So our next one is next weekend in DC. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I got some really special guests. I can't tell you just yet, but it's a, it's a really Don't special guest. It. And it's on the 19th from 10 to 6 at the Eden Hotel. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, we have, you know, Philly coming up after that. We have Atlanta. We have North Carolina. We have um, uh, Miami. We ended it at Art Basel at Miami. We have LA on the list. I'm really excited about all this. And I'm really be happy to be doing this with my Ivana. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. Um, it's just, it's, when you hear, which is why I always love a backstory, when you hear where you started and knowing that you were a little timid about going into this industry because you weren't really sure how you're going to be received mm. and your, your trajectory of growth and opportunities that came along and now you are empowering other people to just embrace what's there and saying, whatever you're feeling, don't. Like, yeah. it, it's okay. And accept and embrace this moment. Accept and embrace your hair. Like, your hair is more than just some texture on top of your head. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's you. And yeah. I think that people, people are finally getting into a space where you're, you're proud of hair, whereas hair used to be like a determining factor in so many situations. Yeah. Don't bring that nasty headed girl in my house. Like that was a thing. And yeah. now it's like, I'ma let it be curly. I'ma wash it and blow and just let it go. I'ma wash and set. It's now it's whatever I decide to do with my hair, that's me. That's my decision. That's my opinion. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. You're gonna accept it. If you don't, tough. Yeah. And I, I love that that trajectory has just evolved so much and you're such a you're such a part of that evolving trajectory yeah you know it's just you know as i was telling my team and michelle knows this best uh, my publicist my amazing publicist but um my marketing team creative genius headed up by cj um you know i just really feel like it's it's just time for us to take healing into our own hands and stop looking at any outside sources for that so if i could be a vessel of healing uh for people i feel like the natural you tour is doing the job that it's set out to do um, you know, yeah. I feel like I live a very free life, but I also understand what it took to get me to this place. And so if I could lend anybody that understanding, um, that wealth of knowledge, I'll be a happy camper just with the natural YouTuber by itself. But what I want to do say to you is I'm really excited about Art Basel because that's our last tour stop. And we're doing the first mm -hmm. natural hair exhibit um, we're doing the first natural hair exhibit um, at Art Basel, and I'm super excited about it. It's going to be uh, December the 7th through the 10th, and um, 
I just can't, like, I've never been to Art Basel, so I'm really excited that we're curating all these, um, you know, all these artists and everything. So it's, it's going to be cool. And just so you know, this tour is for all genders. It's not just for women. Because as I keep telling people, yeah. I even open up the conversation. This is not a conversation about hair. This is a conversation about traumas related to your hair and other traumas related to that. So it's not just, so I, I invite men, women, men are on the stage, women are on the stage. So I want everybody to experience this conversation. Which is interesting because I've, I've heard like my, my very grounded friends, um, they will say that your trauma is held in your hair. Yeah. Like your hair holds your trauma. And it's the reason why you have so many people who decide to cut their hair all the way off and start over. Yeah. And it's like, there's so much, there's so much weight that's inside of my, inside of my hair. So I have to like cut that off and let that trauma go and then start fresh. Yeah. So, and again, I know some people are going to be like, you know, that's a little extreme and I get that, <laughs> but it's like, that's how, that's how some people feel. And it's, your hair is something that has grown with you for most people, especially people that have longer hair. It's something that has grown with you. For men, it's, it's, it's the do-rags, the wave caps, the, the curl um, sponges and guys are starting to take care of their hair a lot better because we used to wash it with whatever soap was in the bathroom and now it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 real when it comes to products and making sure you have accessories personally i don't worry about it to a degree <laughs> because i still have to worry about what shaving cream i'm using what razor i'm using how often i'm shaving my head making sure that like there's moisturizers and aftershave like there's still there's an amount of care that still goes into it because yeah. when we look good, we feel good. Yes, and I absolutely. think that's the that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. We always that that is like the name of the game. People, you know, even even people don't want to admit it, but it's just true. It's like how you look really decides how you feel, and a lot of people need to take their power back by really taking care of themselves. And this, I that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I wanted to make sure I said this for all genders, and I'm not just gonna say men and women. There's non-binary, trans, whatever, whoever you are, come. This is for you, you know, because there's a lot of healing that needs to go on and a lot of trauma. But, you know, I, I love that men are taking more care of themselves, period. And yeah. not looking yeah. at it as some feminine thing or less than masculine thing because they're taking care of themselves, because they're doing a facial, because they're using a scrub, all that kind of stuff. This is self-care. This is love. And take care of yeah. yourself in that way. And I, I, I just love that more men are doing that and showing it, too. They're, they're expressing it, which is great. Yeah. So my last question for you, um, I feel like you're already creating your legacy. Um, people will know your name. What do you, what do you want that to be? Like, what do you want people to know about you long-term? What do you want Johnny Wright's name to me? That I lived freely. And that's it. Outside of that, I don't really care because I won't be here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I want that. people to see my freedom <laughs> I don't live I don't walk through life with opposition I don't think about any doors not being available to be open for me even if they're closed at first yeah. I, I don't worry about people disrespecting me I don't worry about people being racist I don't worry about people being 
uh, have a phobia against my sexuality. I don't worry about those things. And, and because of that, I'm able to live freely. These are not thoughts that I have in my mind. And of course, this is something that I've developed over the years. But I've always been an eternal optimist. And I think because of that, it has gotten me to this place at 46 years old where I can walk through life free. And I desperately yeah. want it for anybody that I encounter. I want it for my sisters and my brothers. I want it for my whites and my blacks and my Hispanics and my Chinese and my anybody. I love everybody. I love love and I want people to live freely and to see that the power of their life is in their hands, but it starts with their mind first. And if you live free, you can manifest anything in your life. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that.